the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Hope you are doing well, and uh, it is great to be back. It's nice, you know, I had those those, uh, many weeks off, um, and uh, when I was recovering, about three weeks almost, and it's just great to be back. I enjoy talking to everyone every day. I get feedback from folks. You know, I don't do it as much as I should. I'll start doing it more often. Someone asked me to do it. Um, feel free to email me directly. Uh, feel free to send me a, um, an email, uh, a text and get in touch anyway. Here's those, in, here's that information. Uh, you can contact me. It's uh, my, t- you can text me at 314-256-1776, 314-256-1776. That goes right to my phone. You know, people ask me, will I get it? I get it right to my phone. You can get it right to my phone. Sorry about that. And so uh, feel free to send that to me. You can also email me, ed at phyllisschlafly.com, ed at phyllisschlafly.com. You can send that um, anytime. It comes right through to me there. And, of course, through Facebook Live, Ed Martin Live, through um, uh, the – through the uh, um, uh, uh, Twitter, at Eagle Ed Martin, all those different ways you can also get me. Uh, but uh, any of those ways. So be in touch. You go visit ProAmericaReport.com. You can go through the contact uh, uh, me through that. And also... Um, you can sign up for the daily email there. So a lot to uh, to do. Uh, thank you for all the ways to connect and for the feedback. All right. In a few moments, we'll talk with John Schlafly. We'll talk with John Schlafly about uh, the developing story uh, of vax mandates. Now, don't be confused. There are mask mandates that are falling um, all over the place across the country. It appears that the Democrats are doing polling or politicians and they're like, Hey, we can't do this anymore. Let's stop this. Um, but uh, let's stop the mask mandate. But the question is vaccine mandates and those still seem to have traction. And so we'll talk with John Schlafly. He's got a piece up over at townhall.com on the question of vax mandates, vaccine mandates. And I will ask him, Excuse me, exactly how the truckers have impacted what's gone on, because the, certainly the truckers in Ontario uh, have been amazing and, uh, and what they've done to galvanize people's attention. But before we get to any of that, let's talk about a developing story, which is very, very interesting. And you have to search for it on some of the uh, websites that lean left. For example, um, Politico.com. Politico.com, you have to search for it, and eventually you'll find that there is a piece on a, a, a topic that is embarrassing for the Democrats, and you wonder uh, if it's potent in the upcoming election. And that is uh, at trading, stock trading, stock trading by members of Congress. And so what has happened is that in the last 24 to 48 hours, Nancy Pelosi has decided to support a ban, a ban on 
trading stocks by congressmen. Now, why? Well, the reason why is because there has been an epidemic of uh, members of Congress and others in positions of power who have been trading stocks. They've actually been trading individual stocks while they're in Congress. Sometimes they're trading stocks while they're they're uh, regulating the entities in which they're trading. So Nancy Pelosi is the the best example. Um, she has been she has been crit- criticized a ton uh, for her trading of of stocks and her husband um, in uh, in individual stocks. And so the the question is. Uh, will they ban this? And uh, there's, uh, for example, one of the stocks that people have uh, purchased is Amazon. Nancy Pelosi has purchased Amazon. And so you can imagine when Nancy Pelosi, the third in line behind the president of the United States and the vice president uh, in terms of power, says something on the big tech stocks going to have a huge impact, Right. Well, there's now a group that's analyzing all of Nancy Pelosi's holdings and how she trades. She bought options on Tesla. That's another one. She bought uh, options on uh, on Google. She bought options on um, uh, Walt Disney, Salesforce. So finally, because the attention has gotten so bad, they've decided, they floated the idea of a ban on stock trading. Now, let me tell you something. I'm going to bring this, I'm going to, I'm going to bring this full circle for you. There was a period, and I, I, the year um, fails me, I'll get it before I'm done talking about it, but there was a period of time uh, when there was a scandal in the House of Representatives, and the House of Representatives had a bank, uh, and the bank was set up to allow the members to draw uh, their paychecks and other things, but it, it accelerated and became the house banking scandal. It was the early 1992. And it was, uh, what happened was you, you couldn't bounce checks if you were a member of the house bank. So all the members of Congress had basically free reign. They could write checks and they wouldn't bounce. And so what, this is obviously fraudulent, right? This is obviously a benefit that sounds to the normal person who has to actually make sure there's money in their account. Insane. But that's what they were doing. 1992, the story breaks. Now, understand, 1994 is when the store, the uh, Republicans took over the House for the first time in like forever. And so there were, there were, the scandal included 450 members of the House, and 22 of them actually were uh, targeted. Uh, not targeted, it's the wrong word. They were um, uh, singled out by the ethics committee of the House because they had checking accounts that were overdrawn for at least eight months out of, a, out of about 36 months. For an eight, a 36-month period, they had eight months where they were overdrawn. The point here is, let me be clear, the scandal was that normal Americans have to have money in their bank account when they write a check. And when the normal Americans discovered that they had members of Congress who were doing this, they threw them the heck out, lots of them. And I'm telling you right now, when I looked up my congressman from Virginia, Jerry Connolly, Jerry Connolly is trading stocks of companies he regulates. For example, he has a major impact. He's in leadership of the Democrat Party in the House on on energy. He's a lefty on energy. Guess what he's trading? Dominion Power, the the, the energy company in Virginia. So think about, um, as this scandal blows up, 
and gets bigger, you are going to see that it is going to be the biggest scandal because it's easy to tell normal Americans that you are out there and you're in Congress. You're able to find information about a bill that's about to be filed, about a statement that Nancy Pelosi is going to do, about the president of the United States who's going to announce something on tech, and you can trade stocks. You can go in and trade, dump your stocks if they're going to go down or buy if you think they're going to go up. Are you kidding me? Normal Americans know how fraudulent this is. Normal Americans know how corrupt this is. And I'm telling you right now that in this modern era where more and more Americans own stock, by the way, so they understand it even better than they might have 30 years ago. It will be like the the house check. It's almost exactly the same because for you young people listening, you might not even remember where you had to write checks. You wrote checks all the time. You didn't have credit cards the same way. You certainly didn't have credit card payments the same way. You didn't have online payments at all. So you were going to somewhere and you write a check. That's how you do it. And so checks were what we did. Everybody had checks, checkbooks, and, and, and you had to make sure that your, your balance in your, in your little checkbook, you'd write down what you paid and you'd, you know, add it up and you'd make sure because you didn't want to, you didn't want to, if you bounced a check, not only would the check not clear and the person to whom you wrote it would be mad at you, but you'd pay a big fine, 50 bucks, 75 bucks, a fee for a, a bounce check. Not if you're in Congress. In 1992, everyone understood the shorthand of how corrupt that was. In 2022, everybody understands how corrupt it is that there's insider trading by members of Congress trading individual stocks of companies they regulate and informa- on information they know. It is a scandal. And here's the deal. Nancy Pelosi has been getting beat up over this topic for a couple of years. And she just now, in the last 24 to 48 hours, embraced the idea of reform. Why? Not because she wants reform. She clearly doesn't believe in it. But because she realizes the politics of it. Her, her, her members were saying, we're, getting, we're absolutely getting beat up by this. And they're going to. And here's the only problem. I bet you. Just like in the check writing scandal back in 92, I bet you that the number of Republicans involved that are trading stocks is probably close to the same high, high close to the same number as the Democrats. I don't think that they would be exempt because power corrupts, power corrupts and the access to power, the access to influence, the access to hold on for it. I always tell you, look for it, follow the money, the access to money, to the chance to make money is very, really tempting for people. And that's what you got going. Amazing. It's an amazing thing to see that this story is breaking the way it is. It is going to be a major story. It is going to be a big deal. You just mark, mark my words. And I'm, I'm predicting now it will be similar to, not exactly like, but similar to the situation in, uh, in 1992 with the check writing scandal. That's my prediction. All right, we got to take a break, everybody. I want to uh, make sure. I'll, by the way, I'll put this. I, I got a piece that uh, actually General Flynn sent me. General Mike Flynn forwarded to me uh, this article on this topic, the Nancy Pelosi topic that tracks her. And uh, I will uh, post it up on social media. And um, the uh, and we will. I'll make sure you can see it there. It's worth checking out. All right. We'll take a break, everybody. Come back. We've got John Schlafly. I'm hoping to get Todd Benzman. We'll get him in and see if we can um, uh, catch up with him and uh, talk about the border. Be right back. Ed Martin here in the Pro-America Report, back in a moment. (laughs) 
Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on a Pro America Report. And I'm very interested this on uh, my next guest. I was I think we scheduled him one other time and I messed it up. We had a conflict. He is a public policy fellow over at the Colorado Christian University and Colorado Christian University. Christian University has a an institute called the Centennial Institute, and they do great stuff. They have interesting topics. I've been very impressed with their presence uh, as thought leaders. And so Kelly Sloan is over there as one of their public policy fellows. He himself is a former uh, journalist way back. He's a political and uh, a public affairs guy. And he wrote a piece in Colorado politics called Ukraine's Biden problem. And the tough thing is I rescheduled him once or a few days after that piece ran. Things move so fast, Kelly. I mean, it's almost like who knows by the time this this uh, this story, you know, this interview runs, things will change 10 times over. So first of all, welcome and uh, congratulations at Centennial Institute's great. And so is uh, is the university. So thank you for being with us. Yeah, well, thank you very much for having me. So first of all, what about the growing split of the class of people who think they know better and most Americans, I, again, I don't know all the polling, feel like most Americans don't want war right now. Whether we're tired of Afghanistan or we've changed our positions, you know, we don't want war over the Ukraine. Is that, is that split? Is the country divided? Meaning, is it somewhere uh, close to, you know, 50-50 or 40-40 with some undecideds? Or is it the Conoscenti wants one thing and think they know better and most Americans don't? Well, yeah, I, th- I think there is a split. I don't think it's that wide. I think you're right. I think most Americans don't want war. Right. Uh, we've, been, we've been at war for uh, uh, for about 20 years now. Um, there is, and I think there's probably a split, well, there's always been a split within the national security community as well right. over how to deal with this. Now, obviously, I, I think most Americans can agree that the American government doesn't really have a direct interest in issues between Russia and Ukraine and the rest, you know, the rest of the uh, former Soviet republics. Those have been going on for, well, well, well before the Soviet Union. And those don't, don't involve us directly. What does concern us is an emboldened and a strengthened Russia, which can pose a threat to our uh, Western European allies, can pose uh, complicate things in Asia with, uh, with China, uh, can pose some, some energy issues. So that's our, I think that's the concern. And I think the national security implications for the United States over this whole situation would be if Russia does manage to take over Ukraine, which it could do. Now you've got a Russia that is, you know, has a, well, a lot more land, obviously, some more agricultural production, a lot more natural gas production, uh, <clears throat> and is just, you know, a, a much stronger, bolder, bolder threat to us. So here's a problem. Instead of uh, we don't have to go to war with them, what we ought to have done in the first place was the same thing we did, you know, in the Reagan years uh, is a deterrent. What we should have been doing is making sure the Ukrainians were well armed, putting in some prohibitive sanctions ahead of time uh, Mm -hmm. instead of after the fact on on the Russians and just make it too expensive for them to do it. Right now, that's a it's a win, win, win for the Russians. They uh, uh, they get to force the United States to spend a bunch of money. They get to you know sow this discord within within NATO. Uh, they can keep this going for as long as, as long as they want to and wrangle whatever, uh, uh, whatever they want out of the West, because we don't have a strong enough leadership right now in the American government to be able to do the things that we need to on the foreign policy front to deter some stuff like this before it does become a problem. 
Uh, we're, we're talking with uh, Kelly Sloan, and Kelly Sloan uh, has uh, worked as a journalist and uh, political and public affairs and 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 uh, is currently a uh, public policy fellow at the Centennial Institute at Colorado Christian University, which I admire that uh, university a lot. So, uh, Kelly, um, in history, I mean, I, I love history and I read it, but I'm not a historian uh, per se. But in history, you know, uh, you watch this now and you say, well, wait, uh, the current moment, Russia and, and Germany have this Nord Stream, Nord Stream 2 uh, pipeline deal, which is effectively, it's not tethering Germany to Russia. It's Germany saying, we got a big market. We'll buy it from you. You'll sell it to us. We'll get a good rate. And Germany go, and Russia going, yeah, I want to sell you my stuff. But it certainly creates a, uh, if not an alliance, it creates a set of of uh, of of um, norms or something, what are contracts and others that make it, you know, less likely if you're in a contract with your neighbor, if you and I are neighbors and we decide to, you know, build a, a an extra driveway and we enter into a contract, it's less likely I'm going to kind of fight you because we're in a contract. Maybe I'll fight over the contract, but that's a different thing. So we have a situation where despite um, Germany and others saying, oh, my gosh, contain Russia, uh, Ukraine is, needs to be in NATO or we should defend them. They're, they're, Germany's happy to be in this relationship. What's the reality here? I mean, can can Germany afford to isolate Russia? I mean, that's one of the tricks in this. We're we're told slap sanctions on Russia, make their life miserable. When Germany's basically saying we'll pay you to sell us uh, stuff and we'll all win, 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 right? Well, sort of. So the the reality is, you know, Germany has kind of on its own uh, tied itself umbilically to Russia uh, for energy with with Nord, uh, Nord Stream two. Uh, Germany, you'll, you'll recall, uh, gave up all of its other sources of, ener- uh, of energy. They outlawed coal mining. Um, they've, they're shutting down all their nuclear plants, and they don't allow fracking. Uh, so, so they have no other, no other source, of, source of energy. They tried solar and wind for a while, but of course, that only amounts to about 20% of the uh, energy that they need. Um, so they've given up all their other sources of uh, domestic energy, energy production, uh, Tied themselves now to uh, Russia's natural gas, and you know that's that's one one of several reasons why you know you, we've got this kind of split in NATO right now. Why Germany is kind of the weak link. Germany doesn't want to contain Russia. Germany wants uh, you know Angela Merkel and uh, uh, you know and President Trump kind of fought over this uh, quite a bit. You know she was always kind of you know this this uh, appeasement minded towards Russia and uh, very dovish towards Russia. And now she's gone. The, the new Social Democratic Party, that uh, coalition, that took her place is uh, even more invertebrate against uh, against Russia. Um, and there's a lot of historical reasons for that. You know, they, uh, Germany still has this you know this national guilt, which you know they they probably deserve uh, over you know World War II, even going back to World War One. <coughs> um, and there you know there, and, and there's a lot of other reasons, but uh, you know. And then part of the issue with Nord Stream 2, of course, is it was clever on Russia's part. Not only did they, you know, now are one of the sole providers of, of natural gas and, and energy to a large part of Europe, but that also bypasses the Ukraine. So it uh, it, it, it further isolates them. Um, uh- uh, yeah. So, so we're talking with Kelly Sloan, and again, he has a piece up uh, over. I'll put I'll put up on social media at coloradopolitics.com, an opinion piece there on the Ukraine, uh, Ukraine's Biden problem. Um, in, in what's the best 
you know, again, what's the range of, of paths forward? In other words, people hear, oh, you know, uh, Biden sent over some troops. Um, you know, Putin is rattling his saber. You know, there could be war. There might not be war. There might be incursions. What's, you know, what's, and you talked a little bit about this. I mean, <coughs> where's the where's the path forward? What you have to have at some point is a path forward where Putin tells his people, see that? I, I did what I wanted. And, and they go, oh, yeah, look at that guy. And our, our people say, oh, good, we didn't end up in a war. I mean, I mean, where do you think we're headed now? We're now a few days past your piece running in the paper. Again, we're talking Kelly Sloan, who's a senior, excuse me, a public policy fellow at the Centennial Institute, Colorado Christian University. What, you know, where's our path forward? Well, our, our path kind of kind of gets narrow and dwindles the longer we go on because we don't have the leadership, uh, in my judgment, that we that we need in, in the White House. You know, we, we're going back to that this Obama era uh style of foreign policy, which is really to not have a policy and just to be reactive, just go from one crisis to another and, you know, without having any any sense of direction. Um, you know, people can criticize uh, uh, President Trump, and and I have too, to a certain extent. I think there there was some uh, legitimacy to, you know, the argument that, you know, he did kind of let our, uh, some of our uh, uh, alliances, you know, drift. Uh, on the other hand, he did... <laughs> get a lot of our NATO allies to start paying their fair share, which was uh, uh, something that hasn't really happened in 60 years. Um, but when Biden came in, you know, he swore up, you know, his, his foreign policy platform was, I'm going to rebuild these alliances and we're going to, you know, we're going to be, it's all going to be wonderful. Well, he didn't do that. Uh, the disastrous withdrawal from Afghanistan, uh, and we can argue whether we should have been there or not, but the way the withdrawal was done was uh, about as bad as it could have possibly been. And a couple things. First of all, he didn't even inform any of our allies of what was what he was going to do, and you know this ridiculous timeline. So they were all caught by surprise. And now, with you know with that precipitous withdrawal, all of our allies are kind of looking at that and saying, "Huh, the United States spent twenty years and you know million billions of dollars, uh, time, treasure, and human lives in Afghanistan, and they left, abandoned it overnight." What are they going to do for us when they, you know, we haven't had that kind of, uh, uh, so our allies are looking at that. Our adversaries are looking at that. Uh, you, so you're building weakness on top of weakness. Uh, and we don't have the leadership right now. We need to be able, again, to deter. Nobody wants to go to war right now, especially, mm-hmm. especially with Russia. I mean, we're talking World War III if this happened, right? Right, right, right. <laughs> uh, yeah. and, and, uh, but a foreign policy, if you have a foreign policy, and that's where Reagan was so, uh, was so successful is when you know when he went in, you know he had some some very uh, you know great foreign policy minds and you know and his leadership. Uh, so we had some some to kind of guide us. Uh, you can make the argument even under Carter uh, uh, with uh, uh, Brzezinski, you know, at, at, as uh, Secretary of State is probably the wrong foreign policy, but at least he had a policy going forward. Obama didn't have one, and you look at the disasters that happened, you know, on on, on his watch with Libya and. You know the buildup of uh, of ISIS and uh, uh, North Korea and, and everything else. We're back. We're back to that. So, what is the path forward? I don't. Again, I, I, it really kind of starts at the top. The reason I, you know, I titled my column "Ukraine's Biden Problem" is because you know the Ukrainians do have an issue with they need uh, uh, a strong United States. Our, our allies in Europe need a strong United States to be able to lead, not lead from behind, like, you know, the, you know, the old Obama era, uh, which is really what I think uh, uh, Biden is trying to do right now, but somebody to lead from behind. 
Yeah. Um, well, with allies and it's uh, it's funny, Kelly. Again, Kelly Sloan, uh, and I'm out of time, but uh, so thank you. It's uh, Kelly Sloan is a public policy fellow, at Centennial Institute at Colorado Christian University. I'll put up on social media. Go to centennial.ccu.edu and find out more about lots of great stuff on that website and what the Centennial Institute is doing. But you know, uh, and and Kelly Sloan's piece that ran over Colorado politics. I'll put up also, uh, Kelly. I hear it so often. It's about leadership. I don't I don't know whether that's even more uh, uh, an issue. You know, maybe in the past you didn't see every leader every day all the time but in america now with the way the media is social media the leader is biden and it's a failure and again it didn't mean you have to like everything that trump did but he was clearly reveling in and embracing the role of the leader and uh i just keep hearing it over and over the need for leadership and 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 how there's a vacuum and and how to fill it um and and somehow guys like putin to be honest he understands it like trump did and has the ability to fill the space. Again, I'm not arguing for his policies. I'm just describing the space he's in. Maybe you guys should, maybe Centennial Institute should do a uh, symposium on, on leadership. I got to run though, Kelly. Thank there you, is. Kelly. Thank you, Kelly Sloan, for being with us. I appreciate you very much. Thank you very much. All right. We'll take a break, everybody. I'll put all that up on social media. It's very interesting and a good conversation. Take a break. Be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Our old friend John Schlafly is back with us this week. His column with his brother Andy, Vax Mandates Must Go, uh, posts over at townhall.com late on Tuesday afternoon, early evening, and is available also at phyllisschlafly.com, archived there. Uh, Vax Mandates Must Go. Um, John, it's uh, almost like you're predicting what's happening. They start to, they seem to be going away in lots of places, right? Um. Well, we, of course, we have both vax mandates and mass mandates, and we see chips in the in the wall. And even, right. even the the crazy governor of your native state has relaxed some of the mandates for schools. We see things popping up here and there. On the other hand, in Virginia, we have the school district, you know, refusing to abide by the governor's order. And then we have what's going on in Canada, which is really very exciting, Ed. And the truckers are not leaving. Uh, the government in Canada doesn't know what to do. And um, But in the, while this is all happening, the science keeps coming out. And more and more people realize that the vaccines are over. And so um, there's really no longer, if there ever was, of course, I'm not conceding there ever was, but the, the mandate is serving no purpose anymore. So it's time to get rid of it. Well, it's and causing and, more more harm. And and, and sorry, John, I, I misspoke. Uh, I, I meant to I meant to say mask mandates. They're falling all over the place. I think most of the I I I, th- I think I'm with those that understand that if you if you are polling and you're a Democrat, you realize you can't get away with mask mandates unless maybe you're in New York City or in certain places, maybe D.C. Uh, but but vax mandates. Um, uh, let's talk about that. But before I want to go back to the trucker uh, phenomenon in Canada. Um, John, again, you've been an observer of all kinds of movements, the, the March for Life. You've been involved. You've seen political campaigns, whether it's uh, I know Goldwater was early in your in your life, but you were back in the 60s, the Reagan era. You saw, of course, Trump. Um, the truckers did this. 
I don't know. They didn't do anything in America. They're Canadian. And yet it somehow caught the imagination and galvanized the people to sort of say, well, okay, I can believe that I can be on that side. And it's kind of spreading. Is that, am I over reading that or am I over feeling that? What do you think? I think that's right. And the, you know, and the dopey prime minister, Trudeau (laughs) is trying to copy what the Democrats did about January 6th in our country. He said, oh, they're white supremacists. Oh, he saw a Confederate flag. Oh, there's reports of potential. We're in fear of violence and all that nonsense, even though nobody was arrested during the entire thing. And I think that's he's Trudeau is not getting away with that because I think the public can see that that none of that is true that this is a peaceful gathering of ordinary, you know, I hate to use the working, the word, the term working class, but uh, that's a Marxist term. But I mean, well, you know, there's kind of, there's no other word for it. Uh, these truckers, I mean, you just look at them, you listen to them and they're people of all races and some women, and uh, they're just salt of the earth people in Canada. I didn't even know Canada had people like that. <laughs> Wait a second. Now, there you go with an anti-Canadian. That's what I want to ask you, though, John. Um, what What is it? I mean, you know, Americans like to we like to say we lead the world on freedom and all these things. It took Canadian truckers. I mean, I don't know, 100 of them, 200 of them to, again, to capture the imagination. It's it's kind of a surprise, right? I mean, we had the Tea Party in 2010. That sort of captured attention. If you want to go there, you can say there was Occupy Wall Street. There was Antifa. I don't know. But uh, the truckers got grabbed this uh, harness. Where are the Americans? And I guess, is there a movement coming of Americans? Uh, I, You know, I don't know if, the, if there's going to be a... Co- Freedom convoy of truckers. I have in the United States. I haven't seen that, uh, but what I do see is that it's having an impact on American politicians. Anyway, I mean, they're the politicians are seeing what's happening up there, and we see chipping. There's chips appearing in the armor of the mandate. So I think we just have to keep the pressure up until the mandates are gone. All right. We're talking with John Schlafly. And again, let's go back to the column now. Uh, John, Vax mandates must go over at uh, townhall.com. Our sister site, John and Andy Schlafly, uh, February 8th um, is when it uh, posted available also at phyllisschlafly.com. Um, John, I don't know. I certainly see the mask mandates falling everywhere, um, but I don't see the Vax mandates uh, falling as a matter of sort of public perception. Are you, you know, are you ahead of where the public is going to be, or are you, or, or, or is the public stuck? Well, first of all, this, you know, a month ago, the Supreme Court uh, ruled that Biden cannot enforce a vaccine mandate on all right. companies with 100 or more employees. Now, that was huge. Right. Now, there are other cases still pending involving healthcare workers, the military, uh, and other smaller constituencies. But I mean, I do think that the mandates and, and the business about having a vaccine passport that was that seems to have passed the showing your papers to dine in a restaurant. Um, even that is being relaxed now. Um, so I think it's going to go. And then we have the whole issue. And you haven't mentioned Joe Rogan and the Joe Rogan experience and the impact of that. You know, Joe Rogan has a bigger audience than any cable TV channel. Joe Rogan is big. He's huge. 
Right. And he is reaching millions of people. And his three-hour interview with Dr. Robert Malone, even though it was taken down by Spotify and by YouTube, it is still getting attention elsewhere. And uh, so the truth is coming out, Ed. So I think we're on a roll here. I think the momentum is on our side, and we just have to keep up the pressure until uh, Biden really caves on it. He has to. Uh, we're talking with John Schlafly. Uh, John, um, the Rogan phenomenon, though, um, again, you're you're a, an astute observer of of politics, maybe better said uh, people movements um, it, is Rogan certainly has a lot of support. Um, but is it um, I don't know, is it 50 percent of the country? Is it is it 20 percent of the country is, I, you know, I, I don't see. Uh, the groundswell of support for Rogan. I don't think Spotify is going to blink because he's too popular, but I don't know that the, the groundswell of support for the position is necessarily there. Am I, am I misreading that? Well, it doesn't need to have a majority. I don't think he just needs a critical mass. And I think they were, we're building a critical mass uh, because I don't think the mandate can be imposed on the, the nation or a large segment of the nation, even if one third of the American people are for it. That's just not enough. Right. Um, right. And I think uh, you're right. I think you're right on that. I think you're right on that. I just I just um, I wonder if uh, I wonder if, um, you know, if Rogan is going to survive, it looks like he will. Is he is he really going to make progress? That's what I'm not sure I see. I mean, in, in terms of dropping the vax mandate or changing that part of it, I mean, you know, again, John, you and I have talked about this before. There's a whole bunch of people that they just they don't you can't unring the bell. They think that the vaccine is necessary. They think you have to have it. And um, they're not. Con- I don't think they're going to be convinced otherwise. Well, Joe Rogan, first of all, if you've listened to him for any length of time, first of all, you know, he's not a conservative. Right. He's, right. he's uh, you know, he kind of comes out really out of Bernie Sanders. Uh, right. But he all he does really is ask questions and make a few side comments along the way. It's a very entertaining format, but it's it's a unique way of getting the message across. And the, the, the point is, Joe Rogan has an audience. And between Joe, what Joe says, which the questions he asks and what his guests say, it uh, is changing the narrative in our country, it seems to me. Well, it, it, it certainly is. Uh, it certainly is. The question, again, is what uh, what comes next in terms of, you know, like uh, there a lot of t- conversation. Let me ask you your prediction on this, that Joe Biden's got the State of the Union in a few weeks, a um, week or two. I don't know. It, will he actually uh, make a movement to say, hey, we're past this pandemic again? I think you're getting the low hanging fruit on the left. They're willing to let you sort of not do the mask, but I don't think they're willing to give up on the other mandates. I think they I think that part of it is. And, and there are lots of reasons for it that have to do with control. But there are also lots of reasons that have to do with money and uh, the influence of of big money in the process. Uh, and and uh, I wonder. Uh, you're certainly right that the left wing and the public health authorities are not going to give up on it because, you know, it's the old slogan, never let a crisis go to waste. And they're going to. What they want to institutionalize the public health regime in our country in much the same way that the Democrats want to make permanent the uh, the irregular voting procedures. Right. Exactly. That were put in for one time only in 2020. Right. So exactly. no, we have to go back to the normal. We're not right. going to have a new normal. 
Yeah, we, we've got to go back to the tried and true procedures that we know work yeah. in our country. I think that's right. That's 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 John. That's um, that's exactly right. That's the insight on this in this interview, because I don't think that they can afford politically. Forget about what the truth of health is at this point politically to let that go. All right. I got to run, John. I'm up against the deadline. John Schlafly, everybody. Again, his column is the Schlafly Report written with his brother, Andy. It posts each Tuesday evening at townhall.com, our sister site. But Go over to phyllisschlafly.com and you can see it archived there and all the other ones. Thanks, John. Appreciate it very much. We'll take a break, everybody. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, a daily broadcast from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. And we're upholding the legacy of Phyllis Schlafly, a constitutional attorney and our ticketed voice for traditional values for more than 70 years. And now from the archives of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, here is Phyllis Schlafly. The education establishment falls for a lot of fads. And in the 1990s, the big fad was the self-esteem movement. Now some researchers have been examining the result, and they find that too much self-esteem will actually make you less successful in life. They surveyed about 9 million young people, getting them to fill out a questionnaire called the American Freshman Survey. It asks students to rate how they measure up to their peers in basic skills. The researchers discovered there's been a dramatic rise in the number of students who describe themselves as being above average in academic ability and mathematical skills, in self-confidence, and in drive to achieve. The students labeled themselves as gifted in writing ability. However, test scores indicate that actual writing ability has gone down over the same years. The researchers who compiled these figures concluded that the weaker students performed worse if they had people telling them positive things that boosted their self-worth. Teacher interventions that tell students to feel good about themselves, regardless of the work they do, actually remove the reason to work hard. Researchers also found that narcissistic attitudes in students have increased. Now, one-fourth of college-age students have narcissistic views of themselves. Young people have become convinced that believing in yourself is the key to success. The trouble is, that notion is not true. One of these researchers explained, He said, suppose you are a swimmer trying to learn a turn. Yes, you need to believe you can acquire that skill, but a belief that you are already a great swimmer does not help. When the researchers studied university students who received low grades, they found that the weaker students actually performed worse if teachers tried to boost their self-esteem. The self-esteem fad of the 1990s failed our younger generation. From Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, this has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report with Ed Martin. Election fraud has the power to destroy the America we know and love. Never again can we allow an election to be stolen. At phyllisschlafly.com, you'll find reasonable, workable strategies for assuring the integrity of every future election. Visit phyllisschlafly.com today. Thanks for listening, and join us again for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Hey, let me finish up. Uh, I want to finish up by telling you, reminding you about something. I talked about it a long time ago. It's been a long time, and I want to uh, remind you. 
every morning I get, and, and I'm a pretty bad snob. I, I unsubscribe to things that if they're not good every day or maybe every other day, I just don't want a daily email from something. I know you are signed up for the Daily Wink, most of you, and we try to keep that really quality and short. Well, there is one email that I get every day, no matter what, and it's called the American Minute by Bill Federer. It comes into my inbox. I wish I could tell you what time. It's in the morning. And it's always – Bill Federer is a, is, a, is a historian. He's originally from St. Louis. I know him well. And he's, um, he's a historian. He's a lawyer. He's a businessman. He's been a political guy. He's an activist. But he writes the American Minute email. And it's always so dense. It's The format – is kind of dense and you have to get used to it. He does like ins and outs of uh, stories and he writes a lot of books. He's got one book called America's God and Country, which is an, actually an encyclopedia of quotations. It's really good. It's really useful. But he writes these emails and today's email, the American Minute, and you go to American, if you go to AmericanMinute.com, AmericanMinute.com, you can read them or sign up. Today's is about the Battle Hymn of the Republic about the effort to abolish the slave trade, about the history. It's just wonderful. And so my encouragement is go to AmericanMinute.com, AmericanMinute.com, and sign up. Just sign up. It doesn't cost you anything. And you'll get the daily email from the American Minute. And see if you don't like it. If you don't like it, it's easy to unsubscribe. I think you'll like it. AmericanMinute.com, Bill Fetter. He's a great American treasure, and uh, his work is really wonderful. So check that out. Okay, I got to run. Thank you, as always, to our great producer, Noah Dingley, our associate producer, Joanna Spilger, and all the rest of our team. We'll take um, a weekend off. I will have a weekend, everybody. Go ahead into the weekend. I hope you have a great weekend. No Super Bowl. Someone said to me, Super Bowls this weekend. It's not this weekend. It's next weekend. Uh, but we will uh, take some rest and be back next week. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Talk to you then. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.